Well, please grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We were calling it the best sermon ever because it is, I think, the best sermon ever. Uh, Not my sermons, but Jesus' sermon recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. For me, it's really living up to that billing. You may have noticed that in my prayer. Um, I feel like as I've been studying this sermon more and more, my life is really getting changed. And I hope that's happening for you to some degree. The main lesson so far that's been hitting me is the centrality of love in the Christian life. If we would simply get this right, the law of love, love your neighbor as yourself. If we could get that right, then we would be changing the world. We would be the salt and the light that Christ calls us to be. We'd be countercultural, doing things like laying aside our anger and instead pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, controlling our sexual desires and treating others with respect as real human beings made in the image of God. That's the blueprint he's laying out for us, this beautiful picture of Christians loving one another and changing the world by being so different from those who are not followers of Christ. But something always gets in the way. You know what it is? It's our sin. Our sin. We've got this wonderful ideals. This is what the Christian life should look like, but we're sinful. Uh, Even for Christians, when you become a Christian, there is still in you a sin nature. It's still there. And so there's a part of you, at least, that doesn't want to do these things, that doesn't want to love. In fact, I'd rather be selfish and self, uh, self-preserving, and I would rather be lazy. I'd rather be disobedient, dishonest, and proud. We all have the sin nature in us, and unless we deal with our sin, we're never going to be able to love the way that Jesus calls us to love. Unless we go to war against our sin, we're never going to be able to love our neighbors. There's the title of the sermon is today. We need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. So that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stops for a moment after teaching about adultery and lust, and he gives us a few verses about the seriousness of sin. These come in Matthew 5, beginning verse 29. I'll just start in verse 27 to give us the context. We read 27 through 30. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that, you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. In these verses that Jesus gives us today, I think there's really one big principle. And I'm going to give it to us in two parts. The first part is, if left unchecked, sin will destroy you. If left unchecked, sin will destroy you. Second part, so, do whatever you can to destroy sin. If left unchecked, sin will destroy you, so do whatever you can to destroy sin. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Let's look first at the danger of sin. If left unchecked, sin will destroy you. Look at verse 29. Jesus really lays out that sin has consequences. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better 
that you lose one of your members, then your whole body be thrown into hell. Okay, so we'll, we'll, get, we'll talk about hell. We'll get there. Um, but, but before, I want you to see that what Jesus is, is laying out here, this principle, he's simply concluding something that he's already been talking about this whole time. It's that sin, if you leave it unchecked, will destroy you in this life. Okay, so, so we'll, we'll get to hell on the next point, but <laughs> that sounds bad. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about hell on the next point. Uh, but for right now, as you see, sin left unchecked will destroy you in this life. You don't even have to talk about hell yet. Just look at this. In these paragraphs so far, these last ones we've looked at the last couple weeks where he talks about anger and lust, Jesus has been teaching that these big sins, sins like murder, adultery, life-wrecking sins, don't come out of nowhere. They're a fruit. They're a result of something. They're the natural result of little sins that are left unchecked. So back in Matthew 5, 21, where he lays out this discussion of anger, he says, his murder doesn't come from nowhere. Murder begins when someone hurts you or does something, you get, you get upset with them. And instead of getting forgiveness and reconciliation, you let that anger fester and grow and becomes hate. And, and when the right opportunity comes then, then you murder. Because you let the little weed grow up into a big one. Same thing with lust. He says, adultery doesn't come out of nowhere. It begins with lust, with adultery in the heart. But then when you let that grow and you hold on to that and you give it root, then it grows up into the big weed. And when the opportunity comes, adultery doesn't stay in the heart and it comes out. That's how sin works in general. It's like a weed. It starts out small, innocent looking, couldn't harm anything. Before you know it, it's full-grown, strangling, healthy plants. This is why I hate gardening, like literal gardening. I hate it because I can do really well with weeding for like a week maybe. And, and I really like pulling the big weeds. Like you see the big weeds, like, oh, get that one now. That's satisfying. And you see all these little weeds. And you're like, what could those do? They're just little. There's, that's not even worth it. It just hurts my fingertips. I'm not going to do it. And then I you know, let it sit for a while. You go back out a couple weeks later and your plants are dead. What happened? What happened? The weeds grew up. Gardening is a constant battle against weeds, pulling the little weeds before they get big, before they destroy your plants. And if you don't do that battle, you end up with a dead garden. The same thing happens with sin. If, If you and I don't do constant battle against the little sins in our lives, they will grow in a blink of an eye into big sins that will destroy us. If left unchecked, sin will destroy you in this life. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Okay, but, but then here in verse 29 and 30, he takes that to its logical final conclusion and says not only will the unchecked sins destroy you in this life, but they will destroy you eternally. Look at the consequences he gives in these verses for not dealing with our sin. It's not simply that if we don't deal with our sin, we'll do bad stuff like murder and adultery. It's that we will be thrown into hell. Again, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So Jesus says it's better if, if you have a body part that is causing you to sin. It's better even to cut off that body part, lose that body part, so that you stop sinning, it's better to do that than to be thrown into hell, which implies that if you're not doing that, if you don't cut off that hand causing you to sin, if you don't pull that weed in your life, it will eventually lead to be thrown into hell. 
Just be really clear. He's speaking metaphorically about chopping off your body parts. Okay? That's not the point. He's not, he's not advocating disfigurement. But he's saying the point is we need to be radical about cutting off our sin, getting rid of things that cause us to sin. And, and he's saying either we do that, either we get rid of the things that cause us to sin or we go to hell. That's the principle. If we leave the weeds of sin unchecked in our lives, not only will they destroy us in this life, they'll destroy us eternally. Let me remind you, you have the opportunity to ask questions in the sermon. There's things that, that raise questions. You can write those things down, put them on a piece of paper, text them in, drop them off in the box in the back. Uh, one question I'll try to answer right now, because you're probably asking it, is how in the world does that square with the gospel? How does that square with the gospel? Because the gospel... The central message of Christianity is that salvation is completely by grace, not by our works. Jesus did everything that we could never do. He lived the perfect life, and then he died in our place, paying the penalty for all of our sins and all that we've done wrong. So if we put our faith in him, we are saved, not by our works, not by doing anything good to earn it, which means also we can't lose it by doing anything bad. And so we, we, and I affirm that. The Bible affirms that. And yet, here we have Jesus saying, if something's causing you to sin and you don't deal with that sin, you will end up in hell. So is that a contradiction? That we're saved by grace, we can't do anything to earn it, but that if you don't kill your sin, you'll end up in hell? That's a good question. The first thing to do to answer that is we need to look at a little bit more scripture just to prove what the Bible really says. Are there other passages that say the same thing? Yeah, there are. Turn to Romans 8, if you've got your Bibles. Romans 8 is written by the Apostle Paul, who is arguably the best defender of the gospel of grace that ever lived. Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in Scripture. It talks about the amazing benefits of being a Christian. Romans 8.1 is one of my favorite verses about the gospel of grace. So when Paul says this, Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you are forgiven of your sins, you're accepted by God. When the Lord looks at you, he sees Jesus. It's a wonderful expression of the gospel of grace. Okay, 12 verses later, verse 13. Here's what Paul says. For... If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's clearly talking about more than just physical death because everybody dies. So he's saying, he's talking about eternal punishment. He says, "Here's, here's the ones who end up in hell. If you live according to the flesh, you will die eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you live according to the flesh, if you indulge your sin, if you don't pull the weeds, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if you are killing your sin, if you're pulling the weeds, if you're cutting off the hand, you'll live. Galatians 5 teaches the same thing. Also written by Paul. Galatians 5, very common passage, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just read the part right before that, Galatians 5, 19. Apostle Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So this is kind of bringing a little more, um, a little more specifics to what we saw in Romans 8. 
They're evident. Sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who have these, same, these, these sort of behaviors, the weeds that come up and flourish in their lives, those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's another way of saying they have pulled the weeds. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You don't indulge the flesh. You don't let the weeds grow up. You pull the weeds. You kill your sin. I'll give you another book in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 3. Just keep on flipping along. Hebrews chapter 3. Almost surely not written by Paul, but still inspired. In Hebrews 3.12, we get this warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.12-13. He warns me. He says, watch out for the deceitfulness of sin, the hardening effects of sin. It's another picture. It's like the weeds. Watch out for sin that creeps in and can harden your heart, lest it cause you to fall away from the living God. But instead, he says, exhort one another. As, as long as it's called today, he's saying, pull the weeds. Help one another to pull the weeds. Encourage one another as long as it's called today so that this would not happen to you. Okay, now... In our brand of evangelicalism, we do not like to think about these passages because they threaten a simplistic understanding of salvation that we prefer to hold on to. We like it simple. We like to say that if a person at some point in their life makes a single profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that that one moment, that one statement of saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, I have received in my heart that that's all that matters. And if that, from that point on, if they go on to live a life of weed-filled immorality, well, you know, they, they pray this prayer. So they're, they're good, right? We just have to put our faith in Jesus this one time. Just, just say this one thing or maybe get, get dunked the right way or walk the aisle or put your hand up and the preacher says, I see that hand. And, and that, then you're in heaven. Okay, but the presentation of salvation in Scripture is not that simplistic. To say that someone who simply makes a profession at one point in time and then goes on to live a life of indulging the flesh, to say, to say that person is saved, is in flat contradiction to Scripture and experience. There are plenty of people who begin the Christian life that don't finish it. Who at one point in their life they said, yes, I am a Christian, but then life got too hard or sin got too attractive. The weeds grew up and choked out their faith. I mean, folks, Jesus told a whole parable of which this was the point. 
in Mark chapter 4. It says there's four kinds of people in this world, four kinds of soils. The sower walks out, he shares the soil, the gospel goes out. So there's one kind of soil, it's hard. Satan comes and takes the word right away. They never believe. That's an easy category. There's some people who just never believe. The second kind is, is, is better soil. It's shallow. The seed falls on it and the plant grows up, but it doesn't have any root. And so it looks like it's doing great for a little while and then it withers up and dies. So there are people who seem to believe the gospel and for a period of time are on fire, but then they wither up and die because they have no roots. There's another soil where it falls and it's in the weeds and the plant grows up, but the weeds choke it out. And there's people whose lives get choked by the weeds, the cares of the world, uh, the allure of riches, the temptations of life, and they fall away because they get choked by weeds. So there's a fourth group of people. This is the only one who gets saved. It's the good soil. The seed falls in the good soil that grows up, that the weeds get pulled, and the plant perseveres until it bears fruit. The whole point of the parable is that the ones who don't let sin go unchecked but persevere to the end, those are the ones who get saved. There's all sorts of different kinds of people in the world. And when Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, you've got to fight sin. He's not giving us an optional activity. He's saying if you let sin go unchecked, you'll be one of those other kinds of soil. Be the good soil. It's a biblical teaching. It's not just here in Matthew 5, 29. I'm not just reading a lot into these verses. It's a biblical teaching. But it's not a contradiction of the gospel of grace. Remember I told you I affirm the gospel of grace. I stake my life on it. It's a contradiction of lawlessness. If you've been around, you, you know that, that term. This is one of the great errors of life is to fall off into lawlessness, to say if we're saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what we do. In fact, if I sin more, it just makes God more gracious because he gets to forgive more sin. May it never be a a true Christian doesn't think like that. A true Christian doesn't say, I'll just let the weeds grow because God's going to pull them anyway or I'll be fine at the end. A true Christian hears these words of Jesus, this challenge, and says, may it never be. May it never be, Jesus, find the sins of my life, show me the weeds, help me to pull them. It doesn't matter what the cost, I want to follow you. In fact, it's the grace of God that gives us these warnings. If God were not gracious... He'd just let us die. But he tells us the seriousness of sin so that we will do something about it. Which brings us to the next major point. The obvious action from all of this is that if sin being left unchecked will destroy you, then what should we do? We should do whatever it takes to destroy sin. Since sin will destroy it, so we leave it unchecked. Don't leave it unchecked. Do whatever you can to destroy it. I have a friend who had twins prematurely, and one of the side effects of their condition is that they are allergic to artificial food dye. Now, this, this mom knows that if her boys eat any of this artificial food dye, that there are serious consequences for their health. So she does whatever it takes to make sure that they do not eat this dye. Now, food dye is pervasive. 
You look in all sorts of stuff. It's all over the place. So she has to go through Herculean efforts to make sure that her kids don't eat the diet. But it doesn't matter. Whatever it takes, she's going to do it. She knows it's worth it. The same with sin. Sin is pervasive. I dare say it's more pervasive than food dye. And we say, oh, it's too hard. It's too much work to fight against sin. I'd rather just coast. But the whole point of this couple verses is that we need to do whatever it takes to destroy sin. It's worth it. The consequences are too great not to fight sin. So Jesus says, first of all, cut out whatever causes you to sin. Here's what we can do to destroy sin. He says, cut out whatever causes you to sin. You're familiar with the imagery by now. I've read it a few times. Jesus is speaking metaphorically, right? But he's doing it to to make a point. Saying whatever causes you to sin, even if it's your hand, even if it's your eyeball, get rid of it. Nothing is of such value that it's worth sinning over. This this language of of cutting off hands, I... um, Ever since the movie 127 Hours came out, I cannot help but think of a guy named Aaron Ralston uh, when I read this passage. So in case you're not familiar, um, I'm not, I haven't seen the movie because I, I can't, I know I shouldn't see the movie because it's, it's a story about a guy, a true life story of a guy who had to cut his own arm off. So this guy was a, uh, um, an adventurer, an outdoorsman. He was out, went out by himself, didn't tell anyone where he was going, went out in the wilderness of Utah and ended up with an 800 pound boulder pinned on his arm. That's why I can't watch the movie. I'm just too squeamish. But this is real life for this guy, okay? He's out there in the wilderness. He's got a boulder on his arm, 800 pounds. He tries everything he can think of to try to get the thing off of him. Nobody knows where he is. He knows he can't count on rescue. After five days, he ran out of water. And he figured, if I'm going to get out of here, I've got to cut my arm off. So he fashioned a tourniquet, got his blunt leatherman tool, broke his arm, chopped it off. Then he repelled him his way to safety. <laughs> I don't know if I could do this. I can't even watch the movie. Of course I can't do this. But, but if you read the articles, you read the interviews, you hear his thought process going through this. He says it's all matter of perspective. He said he wanted to live. He wanted to live. He wanted to see his family. And to do that, he had to cut off his arm. And we put it in that perspective, not cutting off your arm is foolish. If in order to live and to see your family, you have to cut off your arm, it's the most obvious decision in the world to cut off your hand. Okay? And what Jesus is doing, he's trying to put it in perspective. You know, thankfully, he's not calling us to literally cut off our hands, but he's saying, have that same perspective. If unchecked sin will cause you to die and ruin your life, then we must be willing to give up anything in the fight against sin. As Jesus says, it's better, obviously, to lose a hand than burn in hell. So, if watching a particular TV show causes you to lust, you should not watch that TV show. Read the recaps online if you care so much. If listening to Rush Limbaugh causes you to hate Democrats, you should not listen to Rush Limbaugh. If using Facebook leads you to envy other people, you should not use Facebook. Okay, now listen to what I'm saying here. I'm not creating laws. I'm not saying, now, 
by next week, everybody better sign out of their Facebook accounts. I'm saying, if it causes you sin, if it causes you sin, get rid of it. If you have friends that always lead you down the wrong path, you need to get rid of those friends. If your boss demands that you do something unethical in your job, you need to quit your job. If something in your life is leading you to sin, it's not worth it. Get rid of it. Don't let that sin grow unchecked. Don't let it grow up. This can be hard. Admittedly, this can be very hard. So I want to encourage you with a story from my own life. And I share this as an encouragement. Um, Totally not so that you think well of me or anything like that, but just as encouragement. Because this passage has been really important in my own life. When I was a teenager, and I was dating the woman who is now my wife, we would kiss. Big surprise. Um, And it was good. It was good. But it became something. I asked her permission before I shared this. It became something that was causing me to sin. You know, when you're driving your car 60 miles an hour, it's not a good thing just to throw it in the park. Right? And so, you know, this thing, which, which was good, was making me want to do things that were wrong. I had a really great youth group leader pointing me to these passages. And I was convicted that kissing, though not wrong, was causing me to sin. And I didn't want to sin. So somehow, by God's grace, um, metaphorically, he was, I was able to cut off my lips. Right? Um, and Jen was gracious because I just sprung it on her one day and she agreed to it and, and you know we were teenagers and we didn't kiss from that point until our wedding day and I don't regret it at all and neither does she you don't regret it no she doesn't regret it you know why because when I consider the fruit of pulling those weeds I mean it's so great the, the, the strength of our relationship now the self-control we both learned uh, the freedom we have from any regrets that we might have um, of mistakes we might have made. I think about where I am spiritually now because of the seriousness with which I took the commands of God. It was totally worth it, and I would do it again in a second. Okay, and I say that seriously, not to lay down a new law, not to exalt myself as some sort of hero, but to tell you the grace of God. Like, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, yes, there's this thing in my life that I should get rid of, but I just don't know if I can do it. Look, if God can enable this teenage boy to stop kissing, he can enable you to do anything. Okay, so whatever it is in your life, you think, I could never cut that out. You can do it. God can give you that grace. So be encouraged. Don't wait another day to cut sin out of your life. You won't regret it. So one of the things we do is we cut out anything that causes us to sin. But you know, that's not enough. Because, again, to be really honest, not kissing was helpful, but it didn't. It wasn't like the be-all, end-all victory in my battle against lust. We can put up different barriers. We can cut things out of our lives. But we can't stop cutting until we get to our hearts. See, that's, that's the real thing. We, uh, we're, we're, we're encouraged by Jesus. Yeah, if, if something caused you to sin, get rid of it. But, but don't be fooled for a second to think if you merely get rid of external things that, keep you from, that cause you to sin, that somehow that will be the answer. If we could just build a big enough wall to keep sin out, then I'd be fine. No, no, no. <laughs> Sin's in you. It's already inside the wall. See, so if you think about Jesus' statements here, so we're, we're looking at the second point. Don't, don't stop cutting till you get to your heart. 
If you look at Jesus' statements, uh, there is a built-in absurdity to them. Right? You notice he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Well, what's so special about my right eye that would cause me to sin that I couldn't do just as well with my left eye? And he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, I know I'm right-handed, but I'm pretty sure over time I could develop skill in my left hand to sin in whatever way I need to that I was doing with my right arm. So, so what is Jesus really saying here? I mean, if I were to cut off my eyes and my ears and my knees and my arms and every non-vital body part, I could still sin. And so could you. Because sin doesn't live in my fingertips, sin doesn't live in my eyeballs, sin doesn't live in my tongue, sin lives in my heart. So we can't stop cutting until we get to our hearts. You see, what Jesus is doing, he's inviting us to see the futility of merely cutting out external temptations to sin. Should we cut out temptations to sin? Yes, it's helpful, it's good, but it's not enough. Because what ultimately causes us to sin is us. What causes me to sin is not my hand, it's me. How do I cut that out? In Matthew 15, 19, Jesus drives this home. He says in Matthew 15, 19, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Murder, adultery, theft. These are not things that just happen because external temptations lead us to sin. They're things that come out of our undefiled hearts. So if we really want to kill sin, which I hope we do, then we need to work on our own hearts. And I want to end by pointing out really practical ways that we can do this. Four ways to destroy sin in your heart before it destroys you. So think of these as weed killer. This is the roundup for the sin in our hearts. First, and most importantly, get a heart transplant by believing the gospel. We've got to start by getting a heart transplant. This is not just about reforming dead hearts. We need living hearts. And if you're not a Christian, you've got a really big problem. You don't just have a sin nature. Your whole heart is sinful. And you can't fix that by resolving to be a better person, by cutting out temptations. No, you need an actual heart transplant. We get that by believing the gospel, by coming to Jesus, being poor in spirit, saying, I can't save myself. Would you save me? And he does. There's a wonderful verse in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 26. God describes what happens when you believe the gospel. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, until you do this, don't bother with the other things. Until you get a new heart, don't, don't, don't bother. Do this first. Believe the gospel. Get a heart transplant. But even though, even then, with a the new heart, you still have a sin nature, and so the weeds keep cropping up. So we have to do other things that help us to kill the sin. And this is the part where, where, where you're expecting something new, something revelatory, like this great mystery that I've discovered. Okay, here's the answer. How do you kill sin in your life? You read the Bible, and you pray, and you fellowship with other Christians. I should write a book, right? No, really, this, this is what we do. Have, number two, re- have regular Bible intake. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. It's the, it's the one that we use to kill sin. As we read the Bible, it exposes our sin. As we hear it preached, it exposes our sin. 
It challenges us to change. It shows us how to change. I have a friend whose brother's getting divorced. And she said in passing when we were talking about it, I just wish that he went to church. And even though I'm a pastor, I, my first thought was like, oh, like that would have done anything. You know, kind of reacting against this magical view of church like somehow makes people better. But then I thought about it more. And I came around, because one of the things about church is we, we talk about the Bible. We read the Bible. We preach the Bible. We expose ourselves to the Word of God here. And if this guy had been regularly exposing himself to the Word of God, I suspect it would have helped him to identify and to pull some of the weeds in his life that led him to the place where he is now. So that's one part of the function, the gift of grace of God, that we have the Word of God. Helping us to pull the weeds in our own lives. Prayer. Prayer helps kill sin. So we have regular Bible intake. Pray regularly. I've, I've found personally the pattern of the Lord's Prayer to be really helpful. I try to pray it daily. Just think about what's in there. You know, kind of in the middle. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So every day, you've got to come before God and you say, forgive me of my sins. What is that? That's weed pulling. Saying, forgive us our sins. Specifically, you think about that one that just happened, that one just happened. And you're asking God, help me, forgive me the sins, pull those weeds. And then right after that, lead me not into temptation. As I go into the day, keep me from that sin. You know, it's really hard to pray that regularly and keep doing the same habitual sin regularly. Right? Regular prayer and regular sin just don't coexist very well. It's like oil and water. Because eventually you get tired of and ashamed of confessing the same sins over and over again praying to keep me from temptation and just looking for temptation. It just doesn't work. So you either give up prayer or you give up sin. I hope that you give up sin. Prayer is a way that we kill sin. And finally, people. Other Christians. Be in an accountable relationship with at least one other person. If you want to kill sin, be in an accountable relationship with at least one other person. Somebody in your life who knows the real you, who can ask you tough questions. What a powerful motivation to quit sinning. But again, it's embarrassing to keep confessing the same sins over and over to the same person. It's encouraging to have someone else who's praying for you and, 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 and encouraging you and helping you to change. Now, these three elements, um, the Bible, prayer, and other people, by design, these are the essential elements of a, of a program that's slowly percolating throughout our church. Haven't been pushing a lot top down, but it's been growing bottom up. It's something that we're calling life transformation groups. And these groups, they really are just these three things. You read the Bible, you pray together, and you hold each other accountable. I've been doing it for, I don't know, probably six or seven months. Um, it's been really helpful for me. Other people have been helped as well. Um, we meet together weekly or every other week, and we help each other. So if you're, if you're convicted of sin this week, one real practical application, if you think, I need to kill my sin, don't try to do it on your own. Um, be a part of one of these groups. Get someone else to help you. Now, um, I don't have a sign-up sheet, but if you talk to me and say that you're interested in being a part of these groups, I will equip you, I will help you, I'll get you plugged in. I'd love to help you do this. The title of today's sermon 
be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It comes from a guy named John Owen. He was a 17th century English pastor and quite frankly, I think a genius. Um, He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Part of his genius is just that phrase. That's the reality. Sin is destructive. It's utterly destructive. If we leave it unchecked, it will destroy our lives and our eternity. Since that is true, do whatever it takes to destroy your sin. Cut out anything that causes you to sin, but don't stop till you get to your heart. Believe the gospel. Read the Bible. Pray. Have relationships, real relationships with other people. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Let's pray. Father, um, encourage us, please. I pray this would be encouraging, that as your true people, we would respond to this, not with despair or with uh, resignation and just going on and living the way we were living, but that we would feel the warning, receive it, and respond with determination. Determination to do whatever it takes. Like my friend who goes to great lengths to keep her kids from eating artificial food dyes that hurt their bodies. May we have the same passion, the same commitment to get sin out of our lives. Not to prove that we're better than other people, but because we need it. I pray this in Jesus' name.